Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. As I've been doing, I'm going to announce another person that's going to be at Retro World Expo the last week of August in Hartford, Connecticut. And this week is Tito from Macho Nacho Productions. I'm sure we've all seen his videos and of course his contributions to Retro RGB. And I'm very much looking forward to meeting him in person. So hopefully we'll see as many of you there as possible. But let's jump in and see what's been going on this week. First up, the OSSC DEX board is now available for sale from Video Game Perfection. Price should come in just around 100 bucks, give or take where you live for shipping and stuff like that. And this is the device that essentially turns the DE10 Nano, the same dev kit that you use for a mister, into an OSSC Pro Lite. Um, I went through all of the features with its creator, Marcus, on a live stream. I really think it's got a, it absolutely has a place. It's not for everybody, but I'm sure there's a bunch of people watching that know this is definitely for them. Um, you know, I would love to see a cool case made for it. Maybe the community can make a 3D printed case to make it feel a little bit more solid on there, but performance is excellent. The only thing in that live stream that I did not get right was the lag test. I think at first, if I'm remembering correctly, Marcus said he was going to be a little bit late, so I figured I would set up a CRT behind me, do a lag test, and then wait for Marcus to come on, and then he ended up being on time, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to bore everybody to death with setup, so I just kind of jumped in and used the capture card, and it was a mistake. I didn't get any of the readings right. However, I did get it right this time. I was able to do exactly what I just said, hook it up to a CRT VGA monitor outputting 480p and test the different modes. And as soon as you touch the time sleuth to the screen, you see it's zero milliseconds in both line multiplier modes. So those are the basic doubling and tripling and quadrupling modes. And the compatibility is much better than the original OSSC. So those modes might be what everybody needs or mo most people would just need anyway. Now, I did also test the uh, the scalar mode, which had about 18 milliseconds of lag. And Marcus was talking about that in the stream as well and how he's going to continue to work on the code for that, uh, try to get the latency down. But that's going to add for some more features that... Uh, that you would not be able to do on the others, such as rotation and things like that. And I believe BFI in the 120 hertz mode would be in this mode as well. So once uh, once the next firmware revision's out, I'll jump back and do another live stream testing this and kind of see where it's at. But I still really think that um, that this is a great device for some people. Uh, it would you know be a good addition to hold you off until the main OSSC Pro's out but it's not gonna be the best device for everybody. So maybe check out the post in the stream and see what you think. The MK8330 ISIS sound card is now available for sale. This is the card that Reese talked about a couple months ago that's designed by Karapi that is meant to replace some of those Sound Blaster alternatives from the older PC cards. So if you wanna use original PCs with 
original-ish hardware, this is definitely something that you should look into. The price is around 100 bucks, and also if you want the E-Wave wavetable board, it's going to add another 50 on top of it, give or take. So that is still a 15 euro saving over buying that separately. So if you wanted to buy them both, now is probably, the, or it's probably a good time to just bundle them together and save a little bit. But basically, this is just something that if you're into retro PCs, you should absolutely check this out. Check out Reese's videos on it, as well as some of the other components like this. Because buying new versions that are homebrew created of older products results in a brand new product that performs like the originals. So you don't have to worry about things going bad and it might be easier to find or to deal with drivers. Any other old people listening that remember what it was like to do drivers in Windows 3.11 or Windows 95 at the beginning or Windows NT. So yeah, it uh, makes it things a lot easier. But uh, anyway, please check out Reese's video on this if you want more info. I think this is really awesome and things like this are really awesome for retro PC users. This week's podcast is once again brought to you by JLC PCB, and this week I want to talk about how to order a stencil along with your PCB order. So first, why would you want a stencil? Well, if you have a PCB with a lot of surface mount components on it, manually soldering each component is a giant pain and takes a lot of time. So if you have a reflow oven or if you're really good with a hot air rework station, you could use a stencil to drag solder paste across just the SMD pads, use tweezers to place your components individually, and then just use heat to stick them to the board. Now, how to do that would require an entirely separate video, but if you know that that's something you want to do and if that would make your life easier, all you have to do is drag your Gerber file the same exact way you normally would into JLC PCB's website, and then select all of your options and scroll down to the bottom to select a stencil. Then if you want, you could also say if you want just the top or bottom of the PCB, or if you want one stencil for each, which of course would add a little cost because it's making two different stencils, but that's all you have to do. Also, if you're like me and you've placed a PCB order, but then forgot to make a stencil with that, you could also just have only a stencil made for you. The options are all the same as if you had added it along with the PCB. You just have to select top, bottom, or both, or one or two stencils. Also, while this does affect shipping, JLC PCB offers many different shipping options, ranging from incredibly affordable to expensive, but arrives very quickly. So absolutely, whatever shipping options for your budget, wherever it is that you're located. I'm showing options for both US and Canada here, and shipping's never going to be a problem with JLC PCB. So that's it for this time, but check out my other JLC PCB segments and previous weekly roundups for more info on how to order PCBs, how to order PCB assembly, and more info on the company. Developer WebHDX has just released his PicoBoot mod chip for the GameCube, which is a mod chip based off the Raspberry Pi Pico that can install right alongside the DVD drive and allow you to boot into homebrew like Swiss or Game Boy Interface or any of the other awesome things we talk about via the SP to SD. SD to SP2, the bottom adapter thingy that allows you to put a uh, micro SD card in one of the bottom connections of your GameCube. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions did an awesome video going through installation and what to expect with it and how it works. Uh, but basically, if you were looking to mod chip your GameCube, this seems like the way to go. Uh, you know, it's got advantages over the original 
uh, Xeno GC, I think, is the one that most people were using for a while. And you don't have to worry about booting with an action replay disc, which is what I've been doing since I don't have a chipped GameCube anymore. I think this would probably be a very good addition to that, so I might look into it. Also, every time I see an awesome project like this, I appreciate exactly what it is in its current form, but I also see the potential for where it might be able to go in the future. So when I have these suggestions or daydreaming, whatever you want to call it, please don't think I'm taking away from developers like WebHDX that do such awesome work. I'm just excited and daydreaming along with it. But I wonder what could be added to this now, now that we have the root and the base of it. Can a Wi-Fi module be added to it or one of the versions of the smaller Raspberry Pi boards that have that built in? And if so, what would that allow? Could that just allow over-the-air updates or you know, maybe control with a smartphone or something? I'm not sure why you'd want to do that. but uh, Or could it actually do something like start the potential process of adding or loading ROMs over Wi-Fi? It might be that it has to do something like copy it from Wi-Fi to your micro SD card or something like that, uh, which is still probably helpful if you're running a retro NAS or basically any server, or is that just impossible? I don't really know, and I think, once again, I think the Pico Boot mod chip is awesome in its current form, but I do really love being a nerd and always thinking about where projects like this could go in the future. So WebHDX is already talking about version 2, so who knows what awesome features might be coming in the future. But if you wanted to add a mod chip to your GameCube, absolutely give Tito's video a watch and see if this one's for you. The open source SCART coupler is now back in stock at Castlevania Games. This is a device that is absolutely not for everybody, I'll start out by saying that, but it's essentially like a one inch shielded SCART cable. The price is 25 plus shipping, which is about the same as or, or less as a shorter shielded SCART cable. But I really do think there are plenty of situations where this would be better than a SCART cable just for your setup and workflow. Not that it would perform better. It performs exactly the same as about a one-inch shielded cable would anyway. But I really love this device, and there's plenty of options. If you're just looking for one, buying one is definitely cheaper than trying to figure out how to make everything else. But if you wanted to make a couple for your setup, then you could, it's fully open source, you could have the boards made, you could order some SCART heads and 3D print your own cases. And in fact, Greg from LaserBear even made a jig so that you could hold it in place while soldering the SCART connectors, which would make it easier to have it all line up when it's over with. So overall, I really love this thing. Please check out the video I did on it because I just think it's one of those things where if you think about it, it might be something that you could use. Um, I also always laugh seeing all the people that don't quite get it and start commenting on the video before actually watching it. But with the proper cable routing and strain relief, this thing could absolutely be a massive help to people. Or not. Maybe your setup is exactly the way it should be and you have no use for this at all. That's awesome too. That's why I love stuff like this. It's a great tool that may or may not be for you. So maybe check out the video and decide for yourself. And then if not, or, or if you do want to buy it, links to Castlemania Games are right in the description. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. 
Retrobit has just opened pre-orders on their Big 6 Genesis controller, and I kind of have mixed feelings about all of this. So this controller is the size of a Genesis 3-button controller, but with six buttons, which is a pretty novel idea, especially for people like me that love the larger 3-button Genesis controller, except they put Start in a very odd place. They put it right above X and Y. So this is really one of those things where I'd have to use it to see. Maybe the way it's built in, I wouldn't even notice it's there until I need it. But it does look like something that you might easily slip your hand and hit start instead. It's not in the middle of the controller like it should have been, would have been, uh, I don't know, however you want to word it. But also, Sega themselves tried something like this in the 90s. There was a controller that oddly had the same exact part number as the standard six-button controllers, and it was about the same size as the standard six-button controllers, but was shaped like the three button. And I bought one of these, I don't remember if it was at a trade show or at just a local game store, but I was excited because I, I love the three button, got it home and it was a little too small for my hands. Um, you know, which is just preference, of course. So I'm not really sure, is this gonna work out with it being the same size as the, the bigger controller? Um, you know, was it that the other original Sega controller had all six buttons that were the same size, and this has, uh, just like with the regular Genesis controller, the top three buttons are a little smaller? I don't know. Uh, I I'm really interested to see how this all works out. Um, I'm probably going to order the USB version for use with Mr., but there are a couple of different versions. USB, direct for original Genesis consoles, and then a wireless version. Direct to Genesis should perform, uh, at least from a latency point of view, identical to original Genesis controllers. The USB could either be between 1 or 6 milliseconds based on Retrobit's older designs, so let's cross our fingers and hope that they're paying attention and use the same USB chipset that they did for the 1 millisecond controllers on this one. And their wireless controllers have had about a, millisecond, or, um, about a frame, just over 16 milliseconds of lag for each, uh, and I think that's even been improved since the initial launch of the Saturn wireless. So not awesome if you're sensitive to latency, especially when you add up everything. You know, if you're playing on a flat panel, if you have to have a, a buffer on whatever scaler you're using or something like that. But the wireless one does come with both USB and original Genesis receivers. So that's a pretty awesome bonus. So... Overall, it's really up to you to decide if this is for you. I'm pretty sure I'm just going to get the USB version and kind of hope for the best. But it is also like mixed feelings after the whole GameCube component cable thing where Retrobit stayed silent and didn't answer anybody's questions about why they were buying and rebranding component cables from a known clone company, one of the most notorious clone companies in all of retro. I feel like their silence was deafening, you know, like the fact that they didn't say anything means that it's probably not a good answer. So I feel weird because Retrobits, USB and original console controllers have been consistently good for a while now. Not perfect, but consistently good. Their retro cartridge re-releases have been great as well. So I have a lot of really good things to say about Retrobit, but I, I just think the fact that Ron didn't address this at all, kind of a bad sign as to how Ron, the owner or, or lead at Retrobit, thinks about things like this. And I'm wondering how much other stuff has come from clone companies or, or clone-like companies. But I guess that's going to be up to you to decide. Uh, people in the comments have made it very clear that some people couldn't give a shit if something's a clone and doesn't really care if money is taken away from good developers who can no longer afford to do this because of clone. And, you know, often wonder why people like that would watch a podcast like this. But I think most people are 
in the same boat of they don't like cloning and if they know a product's a clone and something else is similarly priced they won't buy it so hopefully i could swing back around and finish that conversation about clone companies but it's a uh, off the topic of this i guess it's just kind of a looming black cloud hanging over retro bit for me personally because i kind of lost all trust after that so Let's cross our fingers and hope at least the tech side of thing is good and uh, the USB controller only has a millisecond flag. The Behar brothers have just opened pre-orders on a device that looks awesome. It is a box that plugs directly into the back of your original Xbox that outputs simultaneously HDMI and component video and SPDIF optical audio. It doesn't scale anything at all, it's just an analog to digital converter, which I think is a good thing because you don't have to worry about latency at all. Essentially, what it appears that the Behar brothers did, just based on how this is set up, is they took a buffer chip, like a THS7374, uh, I don't know if that's it or not, but they took a buffer chip, split the component video output, one going directly to the component outputs and the other one going to an analog to digital converter and then also breaking off the audio from that. And if that's how they did it, or even if that's the basic root of how they did it, regardless of the chip that they used, it's 100% safe to use everything at the exact same time. And it should be, as long as they used a decent uh, analog to ADC circuit, analog to digital converter, it should be equal to or better than using component cables into something like that. I only say better than just because of the basic rule of the longer the length of cable with analog video, the more chance of something going wrong. But if you're using like HD retrovision cables through that uh, Xbox converter, then it probably is going to be the same. But if you're using cheap component video cables, unshielded ones, this has the potential to be a huge step up. And the fact that you get analog and digital out of this is amazing. It's great for streamers. It's great for people with multiple displays. And I really hope to see more products like this on the market. The price came to 75 which included shipping to the NYC area, which I think is a pretty fair price, especially if you consider the cost of really good shielded cables and a converter, or just the fact that we're in the middle of a global part shortage and they're still able to put these things out. So I'll, at the very least, do a live stream on it when it comes in. Um, if there's something really good or really bad about it, no disrespect, I'm a reviewer and a developer. That's how, how it goes, right? You got to just review what comes through. But I'll, uh, I'll give an honest review either way, depending on what it's like. Maybe I'll do a short video or just a live stream. But either way, I'm excited for this. I think it's a cool product and I'd love to see more like it that allow for both simultaneous and multiple outputs. So you don't need to buy a bunch of different solutions. All you need is this. So shout out to the Behar brothers for making it. Can't wait to get mine and it should arrive sometime in August, according to their website. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. I actually got the opportunity to meet Lou in person for the first time last week, which was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, I was running like an hour behind, so I really just got to say hi, you know, take a selfie, do a shout out on, on Twitter, and, and that was it. But very cool to meet him in person. Hopefully we'll see him at some of the uh, events at Brooklyn Video Games, Brooklyn Arcade at some point in the future. But anyway, let's run through and check out what we got. Uh, developer Wickerwaka has got an R-Type running on Mr. It still needs a bunch of work, 
and it, they're totally unsure what will come out of this core. But even if R-Type is never released, Attract 17 and Darren O are working on a core for the IRM M72 hardware, which R-Type runs on. So either way, this looks like that game or the platform itself will be eventually ported over to Mr., which is awesome. I think uh, I love seeing stuff like that. Hotego had to roll back an update for the CPS core that fixed a bug in Carrier Airwing. It turns out that fix caused issues in other games, so he'll try to find a proper fix now. And once again, thank you to Hotego for going back and paying attention on this stuff. You know, uh, the fact that an extra bug was added, whatever, not a big deal, because that just means that Hotego is still paying attention to older cores that were already released, which is really great for all of us. The more accurate we could make them, uh, the, the more fun it'll be because there's less chance of anything bugging out. Uh, also, the Retro Castle has shown a prototype of the Snack Adapter. That's funny. I have it right here. I didn't even realize it. <laughs> for the uh, for the PlayStation 1. I believe this was based on a des open source design that was posted. I, I can't remember totally, but I did test it. And it worked great, and it worked with light guns. But the composite jack currently is not working, at least in this prototype. So uh, for gun cons, you're still going to have to connect it to sync or the green connector on your cables. But this has a lot of potential. I didn't have time to test the memory card slot, but I'd like to test that as well. Uh, I think this is very cool. So, uh, you know, I'll have more info out on this as soon as I have time to test a bit more. Um, Birdie Bro wrote a quick guide that shows you how to make edits to the documentation GitHub. So if you want to contribute documentation to the Mr. Project, this is definitely the way to do it. You know, having things posted on the, the main GitHub and having things where everybody could have one place to get the tech info, I think is really important. And obviously that's the goal of the console mods wiki as well. So people don't have to go to 20 different places trying to hunt down the answer to things. So if you like tech writing and if you like doing stuff like this, please check out both of those and see if you can contribute. Also, uh, Track 17 and Darren O was working on another Nichibutsu arcade game, uh, Sky Robo, also known as Big Fighter. So you could get this one in its beta form um, just by using the update all script and enabling unofficial distributions. But I believe this is still a work in project. Also, FPGA implementations of these chips that we have are pretty awesome, which means like Stephanie Allaire did a while back where she took Otego's YM2612 chip, I think that was the right one, it might've been the other one, and put it on its own dedicated little FPGA and made a chip replacement for it. But another way to do that is turning that FPGA into an ASIC, which in the confines of making one or two is probably a lot of work and unnecessary. But if you had a project where you wanted to make 10,000 of something. It might be amazingly cost-effective to do it that way if you had the skills and the tools to do it. So Matthew Venn on Twitter has shown that doing something like that is at least possible with open source tools. And that's something that I would really love to see the community jump in on and see what else we could do because there's a lot of chips for arcade boards that you can't get anymore that I think it would be amazing to have those run off as replacements. But there's a ton of other uses for things like that. I mean, heck, even having better Nintendo on a chip or Genesis on a chips, I think would be great. And, you know, I wish companies like Retrobit would be paying more attention to the community and less attention to the clone companies because I would love to work with them on something like that so that they could just make much better, incredibly accurate clone consoles that we would love to buy rather than some of the junk that's already out there. And I, that, 
that's junk for all of the companies. That's not a shot at Retrobit there. Because all of them just take the Nintendo on a chips that are out there, slap it on their own board and, and sell it. They don't really redesign that. But if somebody did, that means these clones could get really good. Also, uh, sound for Pierco's Rodland Core is starting to be implemented. It's based on Hotego's YM2131 sound chip implementation. Uh, so that's pretty good. It's always good to have audio coming along in these games as well. And also, uh, Robert posted a huge update to the PlayStation Core. There are so many different things in there I wouldn't even begin to uh, to try to walk through. But one of the coolest ones is there's a hack for PAL games to run at 60 hertz without being cut off vertically. So if you're in PAL land or want to play a couple of handful PAL exclusives that are pretty cool, that's a neat option. But honestly, if you're into the PlayStation stuff, check out the, the change log for all of the things that Robert did. Or if you're subscribed to his Patreon, that's the best way to go about doing it. But very cool updates and, and very neat to see how accurate that core actually is. I was having a conversation on Twitter with a couple of people doing capture analysis, um, as well as Christoph from the PS1 digital team, and really d discovering how accurate this core actually is. So it's pretty cool to see all that. But anyway, if you want more details on all of this stuff or more info, please check out Lou's posts. And of course, subscribe to Lou on YouTube, because without him, all of these awesome updates wouldn't be consolidated in one place. And I think that's something that uh, is really awesome that we get to just skim through these and be updated as to what's going on in the Mr. World. So subscribe to Lou, and thanks, of course, to everybody who contributes in any way to the Mr. Project. I recently posted an interview with Paul and Drew, who are the devs behind the MK Plus hacks for the arcade version of Mortal Kombat. Ah, sorry, I, I know I said that wrong. Let me try that again. I don't want to offend any MK fans. For the arcade versions of Mortal Kombat! But to be honest, calling them hacks is an unfair understatement. These are completely rewritten and updated versions of the game where they went in and added missing characters, uh, added missing moves and fatalities, put certain stages back in. I mean, the list of changes is way too long to even begin to talk about in a segment like this, or to be honest, even in a long-form podcast. So my suggestion is, even if you're the slightest bit of an MK fan, check this one out, give it a listen. As always, these are available everywhere audio podcasts are found, and of course, as a YouTube video as well. But I really recommend checking out this interview because there's so much that went into this project. It's one of my favorite ones out there. And of course, if you want all of the details, go in and check out the change logs in the Discord server and stuff like that. The only other thing to note is their website is currently down. We talked about that in the interview um, and it'll be back up at some point soon. So a lot of the documentation that's out there, you can still find on the Discord server, but it's not as easily and readily available as it was. I also want to try to put a guide together on, you know, I know this already exists, but I want to put a Bob version of the how to use this on MAME guide. Um, Paul and Drew were patient enough after the interview to sit there with me and make sure that I got mine working. So hopefully I will show them that they've used their time wisely because I'll go back out and show everybody else how to use it as well so they don't have to continuously answer the same questions for stuff like that. But honestly, I just can't say enough good things about these ROM hacks and the UMK3 
Plus version is in an excellent place right now. Mortal Kombat 2 Plus is also great. Uh, I think it's really ready for people to hit it hard. And MK1 is still in beta, but I'm sure it's still fun for any fans of the original game to play. So definitely check that one out. And thanks, of course, both to Paul and Drew for taking the time to do the interview and the tremendous amount of time to make those hacks. Well, that's it for this time. As always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and of course, and especially thank you to everybody who supports in any way possible, because it's you who's keeping all of this stuff going, as well as the tremendous amount of behind-the-scenes research that goes into this. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.